I'm Pastor Scott, lead pastor of the river. We hope that you are blessed by what you hear on, on this podcast. We hope that God's word continues to have power in your life. And we pray that uh, God makes himself known. Thanks for checking us out and uh, enjoy the service. We're in the book of Romans. Truth that transforms is the overriding theme. And we are to Romans 5, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Pastor Scott took us through chapter 4 last Sunday, talked about Abraham and how he experienced God's salvation uh, by faith. And even before that, we've already had just the diagnosis given to us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but God is at work. There is a righteousness from God that has been made known. And from Jesus, from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. This is 3 verses 21 and 22. We are now to chapter 5. There are some notes that are available to you if you uh, have this little uh, handout, and we'll do our best to follow those notes. We are going to be uh, doing it a little differently than the others have done. Pastor Scott and Nick, I'm going to jump right into the middle of the passage because I think that's where we want to start and then look at the bookends on each side of that. But here we are, Romans 5, beginning with verse 1. And what I'm going to do is just read the words that are on the screen. I noticed as I was sitting there and I pulled out a pew Bible that there were small variations that would pop up. Um, if, if you have a, a smartphone or a mini iPad, you could pull up this passage and you probably look very much like this. The NIV, the New International Version, has been around for a while now. It had its start in 1965 with some initiative by the Christian Reformed Church of all bodies and became an international translation because oh, over a hundred people from all over the world were involved in doing the translation work, and it continues to be kind of a living translation. In other words, adjustments keep getting made as new manuscript evidence comes to light, as new uh, ways of perhaps expressing ourselves in English comes to light. Uh, it, 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 was, um, it used to be uh, sort of governed by what was known as the New York Bible Society located in New York, and then that moved over to Colorado Springs, and they changed their name to the International Bible Society. And there's that group has changed its name again. It's now called Biblica. Biblica. And there are scholars that continue to kind of look at how we can best translate um, the Scriptures. So here we are. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, 
though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if while we were God's enemies we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. wanted to grab a copy of Christianity Today um, that I recently received. This is one of those Sundays. In fact, this is the Sunday where we're encouraged to pray for persecuted Christians around the world. Those who follow these organizations who, who study those things say there are a hundred million Christians that are being persecuted. At the top of the list is the nation, the country of North Korea. What's a real crisis that's going on in the church around the world is the church in the Middle East. The church in the Middle East is being practically eliminated. You've heard of ISIS. You've heard of ISIL. It's known as ISIS or ISIL in the Middle East, Syria, and uh, in, in Iraq. And it, this is a, a radical Muslim movement wants to declare itself a nation. And, and when they run into people who believe differently than they do, they demand that you be converted to Muslim faith or you will die. You've seen some of the beheadings that have happened in that context. The persecuted church, and it essentially is all about what we read here in Romans chapter 5, the verses 1 through 11, uh, the entire book of Romans, but this as well. The truth that transformed believers around the world. Christianity Today has this headline. Just want to finish the story. Is this the end of Christianity in the Middle East? And I don't know if you can see this. There's a red emblem, a letter in the Arabic language that is painted on the door frames, doors of those who are Christians in that region where ISIL, ISIS is now in control. Shades of Nazi Germany when the Germans were out to eliminate the Jews. We need to pray for those persecuted Christians who hold to the truth of the Scripture that's right here. I want to begin with the verses 6 through 8, that middle section. And let me just read that again, because it, it, this is what it says. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for, un, uh, for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's interesting how the Bible approaches it right there. It just asks the question, for whom would you die? For whom would you give your life? Would you give your life for a righteous man? Would you give your life for a good man? There's a distinction between those two, and it's kind of interesting distinction. The righteous man is a man who's, 
who's very concerned about doing the right thing, very concerned about dotting his I's, crossing his T's, very concerned about obeying the law. That's his, that's his priority. A good man is one who, yes, understands that there's a law and that it's important, but for whom the overriding issue is, is love. How does that get expressed, even in the context of law? I was uh, thinking about how to illustrate this, the difference between the two. And here's what I came up with. Ruth is pregnant. My wife is pregnant. Uh, that's not the case, by the way. Our youngest is Joel, and he's 32 years old, so we have to go back in time a little bit. But let's pretend Ruth is pregnant, and she's now going into labor, and we need to get her to the hospital. And so we get in the car, and we head from our home over to Redlands Community Hospital. That's where we need to go. And Ruth is in labor. Oh, oh. oh Will, hurry, go. And I say, well, wait a minute. Here's a four-way stop. We need to make sure, and it's 2 o'clock in the morning, we need to make sure we come to a full stop and we look around to see if anybody got there before us before we can go forward. Well, hurry up! But the speed limit is this. We're going past more middle school. It says if children are present, 25 miles an hour. So we got to make sure they're 2 o'clock in the morning, there are any children present. And if there are, we need to slow down. We come over here to this stoplight. It's red. Will Rusev, come on, Will. Go through it. No, it's red. Von Leo may be lurking over there. And I need to obey the law. So we need to stop and wait for this long, long red. I don't know if you noticed that. To finally turn green. Okay, it turned green. We can go. Carefully, within the speed limit, we make our way to Redlands Community Hospital and get Ruth checked in, and she has baby Joel. That's the righteous man, making sure I do it right. And it says there, scarcely for a righteous man would someone die. The good man, Joel. Katie's pregnant, Laney. She's going into labor. It's 2 o'clock in the morning again. And Joel's having to bring her to the hospital. She's moaning and groaning. I'm not sure I got the moaning and groaning right. It's been a while since I've heard that. But moaning and groaning. And Joel comes to these four-way stops. He says, okay, no traffic. Let's just move on through. Let's, uh, the light is red. Well, no, there's no traffic. We can just walk our, work our way through that, that intersection. I hope Von Leo sees this because I'm sure he would help us get, if not siren blaring, at least lights flashing to get us to the hospital because Katie, it's most important what we do here to get her to the hospital on time. The good man. Maybe for a good man we would dare to die. Or to put it a little bit more dramatically, you've seen the pictures of those ISIL guys with the knife ready to be head someone. He's got a British accent, a London accent, we're told. Would I go out of my way for him? Would I give my life for him? Not a chance in the world. 
but you begin to talk to me about my children and grandchildren and their needs, and you got a whole different attitude from me. I'd be willing to give up an organ. I'd be willing to help with all kinds of situations. I'd be willing to enter into their life. I think I might even be willing to give my life for one of my children or grandchildren. But now, for whom did Christ die? It's described in the passage, ungodly, sinners, God's enemies, those who are powerless to do anything. That's for whom Christ died. Christ died for those who are described in Romans 3. There is no one righteous, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. The thief on the cross asks Christ to remember him when he comes into his kingdom, and Jesus' response is, today you will be with me in paradise. People are nailing Jesus to the cross and setting that cross up. And what does Jesus pray? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Christ, God, the Father, doesn't make distinctions like we tend to do. So the verses 9 through 11, let's look at those. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? No, only, um, not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What happened when Christ died? The Bible describes at least two things. One is we are justified. And it's a judicial thing that happens. Remember, think of a courtroom. Think of a judge. Think of you standing there absolutely condemned to death, absolutely condemned to hell. And there is nothing you can do. You are powerless. You are an enemy. And God in Jesus Christ, when he died for us, basically says, I'm stepping in. I'm suffering hell for you. And you're free. You don't have to worry about that anymore. We are justified, something judicial. We are reconciled, something relational. The Bible says at the very beginning when Adam and Eve sinned, they ran and hid from God. That wonderful intimate relationship they had with God where they had conversation with Him every day was broken. And God kicked them out of the garden. And there was this sense of alienation that we felt. There's this sense of being an enemy of God. There's this sense of what Women's Bible Fellowship that I teach on this past Wednesday, 
We're going through the book of uh, Isaiah, and we are at Isaiah 6, and that awesome vision in Isaiah chapter 6 where he stands in the presence of God, and there are these seraphs, these angels that are just flying around and singing glory, holy, holy, holy to the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah stands in the presence of that holy God and he says, I am ruined. But what happens when Jesus Christ died on the cross is that we were reconciled. We were brought back together. We become adopted as sons and daughters. We're brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. There's something wonderful in the relationship that allows us to know that God is there, that God's glory is right there with us and for us, and that God's taking care of us. We, so, so what happened when Christ died was one thing, we're justified, we're reconciled, but then there's also in this little uh, paragraph uh, something about what is happening and what is ongoing right now. And what, uh, what is ongoing is that we are being saved. Now, sometimes when we think about being saved, we think about it in terms of, okay, I I remember a time, and some of you can probably write down the date and just describe the place and the situation in which you were where you were saved. This is a bit of a different use of saved, and that's also reflected in other parts of the Bible. We are being saved through His life. And when we talk about life, What we're really referring to is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus not only died on the cross, but He rose again. He didn't stay in the grave. He appeared to His disciples. He ascended into heaven. He took this position of power and authority at the right hand of the Father, and He promises to come again. And it's all because of that life that we remember, 1 Corinthians 15, that He is the first fruits of our resurrection. His resurrection is the first fruits of our resurrection. But that we are also being preserved and saved to experience His grace, His glory, until, until we die, until we go to be in the presence of the Father, until He comes again and we experience life on the new heavens and the new earth, Revelation 21, with God Himself. And so we rejoice. That's how it ends up. Not only is this so, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. It's kind of an ongoing business. Now back to verses 1 through 5. Therefore, and you get therefore often in the book of Romans, and what you get then is a reference to what has been said earlier, and it sort of builds on that. Since we have been justified through faith, 
And, and what we need to catch there is, is what Pastor Scott was describing last week, and it's also described in those verses just before chapter 5 where Abraham's faith is described, where Abraham's uh, hope is described. And, and let me just read a little bit of that. Verse 18 of chapter 4, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and Sarah's womb was also dead. In other words, he was looking at a certain kind of reality. I am a hundred years old. My wife and I haven't had a baby. Her womb is dead. She can't have a baby. And you're telling me, God, that I'm going to be the father of many nations? And God says to him, yes. And Abraham understands that new reality. Yet he did not waver, verse 20, through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. That's the reality that Abraham believed. That was the gift that God had given him. So, let me continue reading. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit whom he has given us. There's a little, if you have a Bible and you look at a footnote, you notice there's a 1, 2, and 3, reference to verses 1, 2, and 3, which give an alternate translation in the verses 1, 2, and 3. Uh, in other words, it could read, instead of what we have there, we have peace, let us have peace. And in verse 2, let us rejoice. And verse 3, also, let us rejoice in our sufferings. Now, give you a little glimpse of what Bible translators look at and what's going on. Pastor Scott let me use this big, thick book that just references the different translation, the different manuscripts, not translations, manuscripts that are available to translators and to exegetes, those who have to figure out what the text says. That's one of our responsibilities, right, Sandy? It's one of our responsibilities. You've been through the preaching class as we prepare messages. And, and what, what you come up against is the big debate about is it a omicron? And that's a Greek letter. That's the uh, short O. Or is it omega, alpha and omega, first and last, omega, the long O, in the Greek word echomen? Is it echomen or is it echomen? And some translations have it echomen, others have it echomen. And the testimony is about uh, equal. The translators here opt for ech-o-men. The 
Here's how that could happen. In the days before, we had copying machines. (laughs) In the days before, we had printing presses. The way the Scriptures got duplicated was in a monastery, let's say, with a group of a dozen monks sitting at desks with a papyrus perhaps and a pen, and one of them would be reading from the manuscript, and they would listen carefully and would then write what they heard him say. And you get to a place like this, and you, I don't know what happened. I, Pastor Scott was telling me how, how this is, was explained to him in seminary recently. He says, there, there can be these distractions. These, these 11 guys, uh, these 12 guys are sitting in a cold room, and there's a fireplace. Another log needs to be put on the fire, so let's get another log on the fire. Or, or uh, I need to go to the bathroom. I need a bathroom break. Or there's some other distraction. And, and as they then refocus... Um, the one who's reading the Scripture says, Ech-o-men, and they look perhaps at each other. Did he say Ech-o-men, or did he say Ech-o-men? And some heard one, and some heard the other. And that's why we have manuscripts. And you might say, wow, that sounds like, do we really have the Word of God today? After you describe how that got done, And I will say, yes, we do. Those kinds of variations are small in terms of the huge text. There's no truth that's lost. It gets explained. And the Holy Spirit continued to work even in those efforts to make sure that the Scriptures come down to us as God's Word. But Echomen, English majors, is in the indicative mood. Ech-omen is in the subjunctive mood. Indicative mood is this is the way it is. This is reality. The subjunctive mood in English is this is the way it needs to be based on reality. A little example here. Let's just say I suggest that you be careful. That's in the subjunctive mood. I suggest that you be careful. Maybe because you aren't as careful in the past as you should be. Maybe because you're coming into something like that's pretty dangerous, and I'm saying, I suggest that you be careful. Subjunctive. The indicative would say like this, I suggest that you are careful. That's just who you are. You are careful. And no matter how you read it, whether, whether you read it, let us have peace, or as we have it in our translation in the text, we have peace with God, there's a reality that that is all based on. It is in the indicative, since we have been justified through faith. So because of our justification, we have peace. And we're not talking about the kind of peace that's just absence of conflict. We're not talking about a ceasefire between two enemies that just would love to get at each other. First opportunity. We're talking about the shalom, Old Testament shalom kind of peace that looks at life 
as it ought to be lived, that understands that there's a life that can be lived in relationship with each other that allows life to flourish and grow. We have that kind of peace with God. Not just the cessation of conflict, but life with God. That's truly life. We have access into grace, it says. Access, big word, access. When you think about access, I think about, okay, these guys that try to jump over the wall at the White House recently, they weren't given access to the White House. They weren't given access into the presence of the president. We have access. We have ready access into grace. And because of that, we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We can rejoice in all of what that means, all those blessings that God promises to us, all the good shalom that we can experience, and we can look forward to that. But then there's a little addition to the text, as you notice. We also rejoice in our sufferings. Those of you who've been around long enough know suffering. You understand that. There's a whole group of Christians who will say when we are believers and we have faith that's strong enough, we will always experience health we will always experience well-being. We will always experience wealth. We will always experience wonderful intimacy with God. That's unbelievable because we've been saved and because we have a strong enough faith. And Paul says here, and many of you would say, that's not reality. And what Paul says in the text here is, we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God is, has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. And that's why I enjoy the stories of the senior saints among us. Herm Verhoeven. Is Herm here? There you are. Herm Verhoeven loves to tell the story of his accident of a number of years ago. He was driving with the MCCA guys, and he's in Mexico, and his vehicle is practically totaled, and Herm is hurt very, very badly. And you say, oh, man, awful suffering. But Herm would be quick to tell you something special happened to me in terms of my relationship with Jesus Christ. And I am more alive in the faith now than I was before that accident. Jeannie Kim and Harvey, her husband, they're not here this morning. Ruth and I sat with them yesterday. 
How long has Harvey had the trach in his throat already? And whenever he needs to talk or sing, he has to put his finger right there on that trach and keep it clean and ugh, all of that stuff. And Gene retired early from teaching what she loved to do, kindergarten, Redlands Christian School, because she had scleroderma, hardening of the skin, which is a progressive disease. And in her case, it has moved inward, and it's affected her organs' ability to work. And these days, when you look at Jean Kim, she's just a shell, 60 pounds, 70 pounds on a good day is what she weighs, because she can't get that food digested anymore. And she's taking all this expensive medication that strains at their finances. And I'm sitting there, Ruth and I are sitting there with Harvey and Jean, and Jim, Jean too. And Harvey as well just testifies to what that has done to their relationship to Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's a Job-like conversation that she has with God. I love that the book of Job is in the Bible because it lets us, gives us permission to just do some arguing with God about what's going on here and why. And Jean has those kinds of conversations with God. But she also testifies to what God is doing. And that story multiplies among us because we are very realistic about what goes on among believers. It's not all rosy. The terrible diagnosis comes. The word about a pregnancy that turns out to be very complicated, and this isn't going to go the way I'd hoped it would go. A tragic death. We know about those things. We have people among us who testify to that, but who also testify to how God continues to give them hope because the Holy Spirit has been poured out into their hearts, and they're convinced that they live in the hands of a God who's caring for them and who will one day allow them to experience all that He has promised them in glory. That's the testimony of this passage. That's why Christians around the world are willing to be persecuted for His namesake, because they're convinced of that as well. Are you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank You. Thank You for this Scripture. Thank You that we have been justified through faith and have peace with God. Thank You for the reconciliation that we have received. And Lord, I pray for those who aren't experiencing that right now, that You will work with Your Holy Spirit. Pour out Your Holy Spirit, God.
in ways that we never thought could happen. Change hearts. Move hearts that might be made of stone right now into hearts of flesh. And allow us to continue to know that you're a God who transforms his people. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that you are blessed by what you hear. Maybe you're checking out our website more and seeing things that you uh, are wondering whether or not you might want to participate in them. Feel free, contact us in the office, give us a call, send us an email. Um, We'd love to hear from you, love to answer any questions that you have. Thanks for checking us out.